You're listening to a podcast of Red Sea Church, a community of faith in Portland, Oregon, where our mission is to draw to Christ, develop in community, and deploy into culture. Good morning. Uh, come back to our seats. Um, my name is Nate. If I have not met you, I'll be praying for us this morning. So you can follow along or use your own words to talk to God. And then as Royce comes up here, we'll listen to God and see what he has to tell us. So, Father God, you are the almighty creator of this universe. You have a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in heaven and on earth to yourself. Out of your love for us, you made us part of that plan. You introduced us to you introduced yourself to us as Father. You have adopted us through Jesus Christ to be your sons and daughters and to inherit life everlasting. Wake us up to that, Father, um, so that we may acknowledge these truths and just marvel at that. Your power, your love, your holiness, your existence, God, demands a response. We respond this morning as a people born again to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. We, your people, created in Jesus for good works, or we are your people created in Jesus for good works, that we should walk in them. We have been adopted as children that we should be obedient to our Father. Help us now respond to you, Lord, in repentance and faith. May we turn away from our disobedience and trust you, our Father. Our confession with this series of sermons that we're going through is busyness. We confess that we constantly find ourselves busy with our own plans. We let ourselves be absorbed in the plans of others rather than looking to you for the plan. Help us to be a discerning people who can recognize when we are looking to your will and when we are looking elsewhere. Right now, many of us are crazy busy with our own agendas and our own plans, and these are heavy burdens for us to bear, Father. You promised rest for our souls and a light burden, so let us take you up on it. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. Everyone who loves the Father loves who has been born of him. By this we know that we love God. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Lord, we know by these verses that if we come to you this morning to profess Christ, we are also here to obey you. To obey you is to love one another. In order to actively love one another, there needs to exist some form of relationship. So, Father, we pray this morning for healthy and godly relationships inside this church. We ask for godly marriages, godly relationships within home communities, even godly interactions with casual acquaintances or even strangers here this morning in the gathering. Looking outside of this room, we thank you for the community of hope, which is reopening um, due to your provision. Uh, we pray that you continue to work there and that our participation as Red Sea be motivated by obedience, a desire to serve, as well as a love for each other, the staff and residents of the community of hope, and for the community of St. John's. Uh, and Father, this morning, um, may we wear a Christian lens to look out beyond Portland into your into a world that is in need of you and is in need of your salvation. We love you, Lord, and we bring these things to you this morning in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Nate.
We're in, as Nate prayed, in a series called Crazy Busy. We uh, are borrowing that title from Kevin DeYoung's book by the same title. We borrowed it from him, obviously, Crazy Busy, a mercifully short book about a really big problem. And, we, and though we, these books are available for you to read and read progressively one chapter a week as we go through it, uh, Josh and I aren't necessarily preaching through the chapters we're touching on. That's the topic that we launch from, but it's not necessarily, uh, we expect, we're not going to review what he's already written because we assume that you've already read that. We've been going through the series. We started with Psalm 90 a few weeks ago, uh, a psalm of Moses who uh, gave us uh, the perspective of our whole life, the brevity of life and the holiness of God. And one of his main verses there is to, in verse 12, is to teach us to number our days that we may have a heart of wisdom. Teach us to look and know that life is short so that we can have a heart of wisdom. And then Josh looked into the culture dynamics that got us here. How did we get to be crazy busy? Uh, And then um, he also talked about how uh, crazy busy is ultimately an expression of our pride. Uh, We worked through that. Uh, Last week I talked about out of James 4 how to plan and make decisions, keeping God and his will in our mind, keeping that in the forefront. Uh, Today I want to do something that is to be very, very practical very nuts and bolts. I want to go over some basic principles and a few tips on how to organize and live out our lives in such a way that we focus on doing the right things that we should be doing. The goal is that we move from crazy busy to what I'm going to be calling a a calm busy, which I'll talk about in a minute. But first, I need to begin with a warning. And the warning is this. Here's the danger of me being really, really practical today. Uh, with principles and tips, because much of what I'm about to say won't be new to you. You've heard it before. And the danger there is that you might uh, be quick to respond as you hear me say something says, well, everybody already knows that. Everybody already knows that. There's a man uh, named James Clear, and he was addressing this problem. He says this, quote, here's the problem. Everybody already knows that is very different from everybody already does that. Because, just because a solution is known doesn't mean it is utilized. Close quote. He's right. Just because we know, in fact, one of the dangers of knowing a lot about these kind of things is we are quick to dismiss it and say, well, I know that. But that's not the same as doing it. Many of us know, uh, for example, many people in our culture know what it takes to be physically healthy. And everybody would say, if you start describing eating right and exercising, those kind of things, most people go, well, everybody knows that. Well, that's not the same as everybody does that. It's the same thing with spiritual things, like overcoming crazy busy. And so today we want to look at this. And, and so what I want you to do is, as I go through some of these very, very practical principles today, I want you to resist, a little self-control, a little self-discipline here. I want you to resist saying, I already know that. And instead, I want you to ask fairly to yourself, if I did this, even if it's just one thing out of the list of things I'm going to share, if I did this, would it help me um, move my life away from being crazy busy and towards being a calm busy? That's what I want you to ask. Would this help me if I actually applied this to my life? Will you stand with me as we look at the book of James, chapter 4, verses 13 through 17? 
As I read this, some of you are going to go, oh, this sounds awfully familiar if you were here last week. It's because it's the same text as last week. So let's read that. We ask you to stand out of respect to reading God's Word. But we also, we also believe, though it's God's Word written a number of years ago, it is because it's God's Word, it's His Word to us here today on this day. So let's read James chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. Hear the Word of the Lord. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we'll go into such and such place, such, such and such a town, and spend a year there, and trade, and make a profit. And yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So... Whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, uh, may we have clarity today, not just simply on what are the right things we should do, but how can we do the things that we already know we should do. And let it be real in the sense of that your Spirit is guiding us, and may it be, uh, though many different lives and many different contexts and senses of busynesses, uh, in, in individual lives, may you uniquely uh, refresh each person and their heart and their mind to not only hear your word, but to say, yes, this can be a way that I can move away from the craziness to the calmness generated by the gospel in our life. And we thank you, Lord, in your precious name. Amen. You may be seated. James began uh, in, in this text by confronting a common dilemma of life. And that is pursuing success on our own terms, uh, without consideration, first of all, of the brevity of life, and also, especially, while ignoring God in the process. He said that in the first, first couple of verses. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we'll go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and profit. And, um, for what is tomorrow? Uh, you do not even know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears a little while and vanishes. And then he says why this is such a big deal. He says, as it is, in verse 16, he says, as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Notice that James is saying here that living functionally and ignoring God in the process isn't just a less preferred option. James says doing so is evil. It's evil. It's the first time James uses the the word evil in his letter. And this he brings it. Planning and living life, ignoring God, just just not denying God, just sort of put him to the side, James says is evil. We talked about that last week. And James goes on to tell us that not only uh, is there a better way, but there's a right way to live. He says in verse 15, instead, the right way, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. We are to live and acknowledge God's sovereign grace in all our lives. Again, I'm not going to unpack that because we focused on that last week. But James does give us some solid direction. Verse 17 is actually his conclusion or his emphasis of this paragraph, of this passage. Verse 17, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. It is sin. The problem is that we sin, we're uh, rebelling against God, when we know what we're supposed to do and we don't do it. And this assumes, on James' part, James is assuming here that um, we know what we're supposed to do. 
He's not dealing with so much figuring that out. We talked a little bit about that last week. His, it, our problem is not knowing the good we ought to do, James is emphasizing. It is, we got to get it done. But yet we're being crushed by feeling crazy busy. So we know it doesn't get done. And it's a vicious cycle that we ha- fail, fail to do. So living lives of being crazy busy, I think, is an indicator that we are probably know what we're supposed to do but we're not getting done. That's part of the frustration. That's why it's crazy. Now, um, it would take, uh, we want to think through this passage and you know, what would it take for our lives to move? And I'm going to propose that we move from crazy busy to calm, I'm what I'm calling calm busy. We may be busy, but, and, and I think most of us need, just need to accept the fact there is a certain degree of busyness of life. Busy is not the issue for James or us or Kevin DeYoung. It's the crazy part, the frustrating part. What would it mean to be busy without being crazy, without being exhausting, without being frustrating, without being frantic, without being discouragingly busy? Can we be that? How can we let, let loosen the, the grip of crazy busy on our lives? And I think we can. I think we can move towards, and again, I'm calling it calm busy because we need to acknowledge there's a certain degree of busyness all the time for our lives. I'm not, we're not going to be go, join a monastery. There's not going to be a Red, Red Sea monks or anything like that, okay? Uh, we are going to say that's engaged life, but intentionally so there's a calmness. What do I mean? There's a peace of mind. There's a confidence. And there's a reasonable pace to life. And the craziness is minimized. And I think we can do that today. And what I want to do is walk through some very, very practical tips and, um, and principles of how we can move from crazy busy towards calm busy. And I'm going to go through them fairly quickly. Uh, this is teaching that I use. I do leadership training. And this is some of the stuff that I teach guys. We've taught a lot of biblical concepts and principles. But uh, the rubber meets the road for a lot of these guys who are pastors and elders and teachers. When we do something like this, because the light bulbs go on and they go, oh, I actually can get a little bit more control and less crazy in my life. So I've done this and shared this with many guys. And just this week, some guys came back and emailed me and said, thank you for that because things have changed. So I'm going to put that out there as a carrot for some of you. Listen and, and maybe embrace some of it. So here's the first thing. We can move from crazy busy towards calm busy. When, and, and this is just a quick summary. When we, when we stay attentive to God, and I have to start with that because that's James' first emphasis. I'm not going to land there because we talked about that last week. But I need to start with, we're going to move from crazy busy to calm busy when we just sort of get rid of the craziness by saying attentive to God throughout the whole process. And all the other steps that I, I'm going to talk about, there's an assumption on my part that there's a certain degree that we're listening and talking to God through it. We talked about the four questions last week. If you're going to make a decision and plan, how do you know that it's God's will? And we said, you ask yourself four questions. Whom do I praise? What, um, whom do I count on? That's trust. Whom do I call for? Who do I invite into my life? And whom do I thank? And the answer to all of those is Christ. So therefore, it keeps us attentive. But I want to move on to some more practical things. How can we move from crazy busy towards calm busy? Well, first of all, we need to understand that our lives have purpose beyond ourselves. He, this is implied in verse 15. He says, instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this and that. It implies not only does God control all the aspects of our lives, but he has something for us to do that he's directing us, giving us direction in our lives. 
This is why we have the command, the first and greatest commandment, the first and greatest that summarizes all the law and the prophets is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and strength. And what's the second one? Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets, Jesus says. The whole Bible summarized in those two. Those two commands are living beyond ourselves. So the purpose that exceeds our own selfishness in our lives. Red Sea, we have our Red Sea pathways. If this is familiar, if you've been around Red Sea for a while, this is uh, our pathways diagram. It's out on the wall and, and those kind of things. And we, we did this because it helps with people say, what, what does it mean to follow Christ? What does it mean to be a Christian? And as we processed that and we read the scriptures and studied it, it didn't take us long to figure it out. The center of it is the gospel, what Christ has done for that. The gospel then changes our identity to servants and family and ambassadors. But then we have a mission. We have a mission. That mission is to draw to Christ, developing community, and deploying the culture. And those other little triangle things there are how we do that. My reason for saying that, even as a church, it's not left out, hey, what do you guys want to do this year? Hey, let's be a church. What are we going to figure out to do? No, the Bible has given us the mission of the church. All churches, if they're gospel-believing churches, have the same mission. They might say it differently. They might say, love God, love each other, love the world, or something like that. That's fine. It's not the articulation, it's the purpose, the scripture tells us. And, and, and the Red Sea Pathways is important for us because it's a description of what we as a church are to be and do. But let me also propose something to you. That the Red Sea mission, draw to Christ, developing community, deploying the culture, the gospel in the center, its identities, is also something, a description of what you should be and do. Each of us as Christians. This isn't just a description of a church as a whole. This is a description of a mature Christian. If I want to know what it looks like to be a mature Christian, somebody who's rock solid in following Jesus, do you think they know Christ well? Do you think they care about the other believers and fellowship and, and being with them? Do you think they are concerned about engaging the world with the gospel and serving other people's needs? Of course they are. So this description is a mission. And as I work with guys helping them figure out their ministries, often we say, what is is your mission? Both personally and not only your church. And when people ask me, you know what I tell them? It's not very original. I say, I draw to Christ, developing community, and deploying the culture. That's my mission as a Christian. So having, and what I'm saying that for is understanding that getting rid of some of the craziness, this brings clarity. This helps us make decisions. This helps us get in line with the truth of the gospel in our lives. Not just because we made it and there's a diagram. Please get, don't get bogged into that. This is not meant to be an arrogant thing. Look at us, Red Sea. The point is, biblically, God has described what that looks like. And I want to propose to you that something as simple as this, and thinking through that with your life, how am I drawing to Christ? How do I do that? I know through Scripture, prayer, and worship. How, how do I develop in community? How do I get closer to other believers? And even my biological family, through peacemaking, resolve that conflict. There's going to be conflict. Sharing, celebrating. How do I engage the culture, whether in school or on the job or my neighborhood or across the world into Africa? Does not matter. How do you do that? Through hospitality, service, and evangelism. This brings that clarity. Now, at the same time, some people might want something a little more personal. Something more personal. And they come up with personal mission statements. And I don't know if any of you have that, but one that recently somebody shared with me, one of my guys shared with me, and he says his personal mission statement, my guys, the person I train, I don't actually own all of them, so 
Uh, never mind. Um, personal mission statement. He says, to joyfully and effectively steward my life for the good of others and for the glory of God. Hey, what, what's the purpose of your life? What do you do with your ministry? What is it about your marriage? How are you raising your family? He would answer, it is to joyfully, which I was impressed with, and effectively steward my life for the good of others and for the glory of God. That is what gives direction to his life, coming up with that personal mission statement. And he, we talked about what does that include to steward his life. It includes his gifts, his talents, his time, his relationships, his health. And here's two that I didn't even think of, his energy and his enthusiasm. He puts all of those, thinks through all of those to head for a life that's productive. You might want to think through having a personal mission statement. And he's developed it from some of the resources that we've given. It's, uh, and in a way, we often are trying, we're crazy busy because we're trying to find fulfillment in our lives, and yet God has already laid out how to find that fulfillment. He's laid out those steps clear as day. And understanding the purpose, understanding the mission, whether you're a church or a family or an individual, helps a great deal because it gives direction to our lives. It gives us a better understanding. Remember, James, anyone who knows the good they ought to do, and doesn't do it for him as sin? Well, what's the good I ought to do? A mission, it defines what that good we ought to do. And it also helps us make those decisions, and it helps us eliminate distractions. If we're crazy busy because we've got too much going on, what is expendable? What's a waste? Cut away what's not in the mission. It helps out a great deal. Great deal. A quote, I don't know who said it, I just have a quote from here. It says, don't fear failure. Fear spending your life succeeding at things that don't really matter. Giving you a mission helps you succeed at doing the things that really matter. We need to move on. How can we move from crazy busy towards calm busy when we operate within the existing roles and responsibilities first? When we operate within our existing roles and responsibilities first. One of the things we do when when I train guys is we say, okay, you need to come up with the roles in your life and let's just list list them on a paper or whatever. And the roles I'm talking about, like, for me, personal, I have me, okay, but I have Monica, I have family, I have Red Sea, I have CB Northwest, and I have social, so a role in my community, okay? And I have guys do that. Some of them, interestingly enough, I put family all lumped together. Some of them say, here's family relationships, and then here's family with my car, my finances, my house. The material things are separate. Whatever the case may be, you list your roles and what they are. And um, I used to just have one for family, for example, myself, my role as a Christian, my job, my family, those kind of things. In the past year or so, I've, I've moved Monica out of the family, okay? Uh, Monica gets her own category now. Because at this stage of our life, and because of other imbalances in other areas of my life, I need to give her some attention that doesn't just get grouped in with the family. So therefore, I've made her a category. And as I plan and pray, she's there with those kind of things. So think through those things. Most of you know what they are. It's not hard. Work, school, family, okay, hobbies, those kind of things. And then go through, and here's the key. Then list their corresponding responsibilities. With Monica, what are the responsibilities I have to her in our relationship? To the family, to my job, I have responsibilities, and I prioritize. CB Northwest. I mean, it was my job, the organization I work for, do training for. Red Sea, as an elder, I have specific responsibilities. I know what they are, but I write them out so they're in front of me, so I remember what they are. I'm not here to do everything at Red Sea, 
but I'm here to do some specific things at Red Sea. What are those responsibilities? One of the dangers of life is we have P stands for possibilities. I'm just using the P because I don't think I can spell possibilities. Okay? And then this is O for opportunities. O for opportunities. And then inside that are our roles and responsibilities. The reality is in crazy busy life, we have lots of possibilities. There's a ton. There's a myriad. There, there is limitless uh, possibilities. We're always faced with something new, something better, something we haven't thought of before. Uh, and, and, and can be very distracting, whether through the internet, through entertainment, just through our imagination, or just driving around Portland and seeing all the possibilities of things to do, spend our time and attention and enthusiasm on. But then there are opportunities, and I distinguish between the two because opportunities are usually within reach. They're reasonable for us to do. In fact, most of the time, opportunities are very close to us or often come to us, and we get to do them. We tend to be more flexible with them, and they might be temporary. It might be an opportunity for a season, and then it goes away. For example, you might see the, have a concern for the poor and the homeless, even within the St. Um, John's or the Portland area. There are numerous possibilities of what to do. It's, it's just mind-boggling, all the different things, organizations, groups, Places you could go, you could do something. You can't do them all. In fact, you can't even do most of them. But how about some opportunities? What comes across our path to be able to do that would be, for example, uh, Community of Hope. It's right, right across the street here. It's a homeless shelter for women and children. It's an opportunity. It's there. It's tangible. It's something you can do. Uh, for me personally, possibilities is the six billion things we could watch on Netflix. All right? There's a lot of possibilities, isn't there? I counted them. There's six billion. Okay? An opportunity for me is a book that's on my shelf that I should read. Because it's there. I got it. That's why it's on my shelf. It's an opportunity because it will do me some good. It's a lot less, and I'll get through the book, and I'll move on to something else. But it's a personal opportunity. But even within all that, this is leading to this, is our roles and responsibilities. Even when we're trying to discern between possibilities and Uh, opportunities, there are things in our life that are consistent. There are things in our life that are long-term. Most of your roles don't change. And as you list your roles and responsibilities, you're going to find, I I spend an ignorant amount of time and effort here. I don't know what to say here. When I've done this recently, I do this in different times, I got to the social role. I have zip, zilch, nada, nothing, sparkle. That means nothing. In the social, I have zero social life. Have I stressed that enough yet? I am so much consumed with my work, with Red Sea, with family, and Monica, I have nothing, literally time and nothing left over. And that's a problem, by the way. That's not, I'm not bragging. That's a problem. The only way, that's the only way I knew, I kind of knew this, but in writing, that was glaring. We need to move on. There's another thing to think about this with roles and responsibilities, and you might have seen this uh, illustration done before. That, if you're confused, is, is a glass jar, okay? And you might have seen this illustration with people do this, right? Somebody come up, teachers, professors, some time management guy will come up and say, you know, put rocks in, in, these, in this jar, and he'll ask, is the jar full? 
And most people say, yes, it's full of rocks. And then he comes over and he takes out a bucket of pebbles and he fills in little pebbles. Right? You can always fit in more pebbles between the rocks. Those are pebbles. And then he'd ask, is the jar full? And most people say, oh yeah, now it's full. And then he would pour in the sand. Okay? And then he'd ask, is the jar full? It's a trick question, by the way. And they'd say, yes, it's full. No. And then he'd pour in what? Water. He'd pour in water. You guys have heard this before, huh? Okay, he'd pour in water. The point is, usually when this is done, is we tend to, in our crazy busy lives, put in lots of pebbles and sand first and then try to fit in the rocks. If you fill your jar, your life, your week, your time, your day with pebbles, possibilities, and maybe even opportunities, you miss the fact that the responsibilities you have don't make it in. That's what makes life crazy sometimes. We are deficient and ignoring things we know we're supposed to do, and the guilt and the pressure builds. The point being, first, fill in the rocks. Then put in the pebbles. Then the sand. When you look at your life, fill in. Know what those roles and responsibilities are first and fill them in. I personally, I think the urgent and the entertaining, a.k.a. Netflix and the the Internet, are the pebbles and sand that we often fill our days and weeks with that crowd out the important rocks in our life. If we look back and we actually kept track of what we did with our time and our attention and our enthusiasm, we'd see it'd be pebbles and sand, not rocks. Put in the rocks first. That's the roles and responsibilities. But even in with those roles and responsibilities, there's another P, and that's priorities. Set priorities. Set priorities. Even in his book, Crazy Busy, in this chapter, Kevin Young says this about Jesus. Jesus had an incredibly busy life. But it wasn't a crazy busy life. It wasn't a rushed life. That's what Kevin tried to make a point in this chapter. And he says this, Jesus knew the difference between urgent and important. He understood that all good things he could do were not necessarily all the good things he ought to do. Jesus knew the difference between the good he could, but the good he ought to do. He healed some people. He didn't heal others. He preached to some people. But he didn't preach to others. He's always doing what the Father directed him to do. So how can we live knowing the difference? How can we distinguish between the good we could and when we ought? Well, there's one way to do that. It's part of the problem of the urgent, which is part of the possibilities, urgent and the important, but I think there's a third one. We need to distinguish between the urgent, the important, and I would add the significant. What do I mean by that? So when we're thinking about our life, we're thinking about our week, when we're thinking about our, excuse me, our schedules, those kind of things, there are urgent things we need. There are appointments, there are tasks, there's things timed that we just have to do. They're urgent. How do you know if something's urgent? You ask the question, how soon does it matter? How soon does it matter? That will determine if it's urgent or not. But there's other things in our life that are important. They are things, relationships, and going to work and actually getting a paycheck, and other things that are important. We need to do those things. So how, what question do you ask if you want to know if something is important? You ask, how much does it matter? Urgent is how soon does it matter. Important is how much does it matter? But there's another way, and I think Jesus understood this, 
And that is that there's a third thing to think, and that is, is this significant? Is it, it might be important, but is it really significant? What, what's the question for significant? It is, how long is this going to matter? How long is this going to matter? There's many urgent things that once they're over, they're done. It's a waste of time. There's many things that are important that are important. We need to do them, but the repercussions, the consequences are really minimal. But the things that are significant, which usually fall under roles and responsibilities, and from those, the responsibilities, the relationships we have, for example, the people are long-term, the things that are going to last in the gospel that we share for eternity, kind of significant. We should be doing those things. And that's where this is the center. So we work here and we zero in on, even among our roles and responsibilities, my, have a jo- my job has numerous responsibilities, but I have to prioritize them. Red Sea has numerous responsibilities for me. I have to prioritize them. Sometimes I can't do them all. Then which ones am I going to focus on? You are the same way. And here's, here's, here's a really helpful thing. Clarify, roles and re- clarify your priorities for each of your roles. One of the mistakes people make is, what's the priorities of your life? And they have like five or dozen, which you never pay attention to. By the way, well, by the way, the word priorities um, originally did not exist as a word. What I mean by that is, there's only, priority is in the singular, right? If something's a priority, there's only one. You can't, it means first thing. You can't have three first things. That's, That's the contradiction. So we should be using, this is a priority for this. And then we have other things that are less priorities. So in my roles at work, I have not only roles and responsibilities, but I have listed my priorities. And this is this and this with Monica, with my, my family, and my, my Red Sea. I have those. And, and why is it so important? Because if you just say, I have, my life priorities are this mangled mess of things, it gets confusing. They usually are very vague. And yet, when you say, I can be very tangible with my priority with Monica, or at work, or what are those kinds of things. And I can say it. What it does is, it makes it very tangible. This is a priority when I'm at work. It's not when I'm at home. This is a priority when I'm with Monica. But it's not so much when I'm with the family, or I'm at Red Sea. We can distinguish that. And where I'm at, this is what makes it timely. My priorities become timely. If I'm with Monica, that priority is where I'm at. Not, not worrying about, <laughs> I'm not supposed to be worrying about what's going on at work. Okay? Okay, I have, I have a day off. I've, this, is, this is new for me. I'm trying real hard to take a day off. Monday's my day off. I am not allowed to check email for work or even Red Sea. Because once I start, it's a, va- it's a black hole. I, I'm sucked in. So I have to set up the parameters. My priority is giving my attention, my energy, and my enthusiasm to Monica, not my job. Okay? So that's why this makes it very helpful. Uh, You ever heard people say they want to live a balanced life? You can't live a balanced life. Okay? There's no such thing as a balanced life. If something's balanced, it means it's equal on both sides, right? Okay? Can you really balance all the aspects of your life? No, that's what leads to our frustration and part of our guilt and shame. I want to live an imbalanced life. And what I mean by that is, where I am, I want to focus. If I'm at work, I'm going to do work. It's imbalanced. Okay, that's what I'm doing now. If I'm at home, I need to be home. 
If I'm, if I'm uh, some, at Red Sea here doing this, I'm not worried about my job next week and those other things. Be, be in balance. What I mean by that is, be, my phrase that I use is, be here to myself. Be here now. Be someplace else later. Be here now. Be someplace else later. Let, set those priorities and live by them. We can move from crazy busy towards calm busy when we intentionally schedule our weeks. This is where it gets really nuts and bolts, but this is where really, really the rubber meets the road, if I can mix my metaphors. Okay? Scheduling, making a schedule, using a calendar, is like budgeting your money. The only difference is money you can have more of. Sometimes I can budget $1,000. That's different than budgeting $10,000, right? This is a good time to nod. Yep, that's right, Rice. Good, you're good with math. Okay? But here's the thing with time. You don't get more. You can't increase it. You have a week's a week for everybody. There is no expansion. There's no flexibility. We have a set amount to do. We need to schedule it. Like budgeting money. What do we, why do we budget? Why should we budget our money? It's like telling our money where to go at the beginning of the month so that when we get to the end of the month, we don't know where did it all go. Right? We don't know because we didn't budget it. So now we're saying, I'm saying the same thing with our time. Begin the month, week, day, whatever, scheduling it. Spend it intentionally. Spend your time intentionally. Invest it intentionally so that when you get to the end of the month, you go, I know where it all went. And I'm at the end of the month and I did all I was supposed to do. Much less crazy. And here's some practical things to do. First of all, uh, just make a cal- use a calendar. <laughs> uh, map out your weeks. Use a basic template of your week. In other words, certain days, you might have theme days. You might think, I do this in the morning, I do this on Mondays, I do this on Tuesdays, Wednesdays. Map, start with a template of what an ideal basic weeks are. Unless you're, unless there's some craziness here, even, even those super busy and flexibility, you know there's certain days you do certain things, whether they're household chores, work, whatever. Start with that basic thing. Group your week into time zones. Time zones. And make those time zones activity zones. So if I'm home in the morning, I do certain things in the morning. I have a quiet time, and I do certain. Th- I read my Bible and pray. I do something like that. Okay. I don't try to do that on the road to work. Okay. I, I don't. I, I read and take notes while I'm on the way to work. So um, I actually do, but that's another story. <laughs> um, um, so, anyways, break your week up. This is not rocket science, but most of us just start going into the week and trying to figure it out. We can make that template. People, here's the key. People, I have a to-do list. I have post-it notes. I don't know how many people have post-it notes or a pad. A pad. Working, you should keep track of your list, your to-dos, right? Your to-don'ts, like I'm not going to do that. Your someday maybe, someday maybe I'll get to this. That's great. Here's reality. People who are effective with their time don't work off a list. They have routines. They have routines. They schedule what they're supposed to do. They don't say, what do I do now? I'm going to look at my list. No, they take their list and they put it in their schedule. They prioritize their schedule that way. They use a basic routine. It's a framework for your roles and responsibilities. And you fit it in there, so therefore you can see that through. Basic schedule helps us keep us from massive overload. We're not starting to panic. It reduces our commitments. When people say, hey, can you do this? I can now say, sorry, I cannot. I am legitimately booked, and I know why. Or do I, there's times to be flexible, okay? But there's also times to say, no, I can't do that, okay? And here's an issue. Time is like space. You ever think about this? Time is like space, okay? Um, it, it can be filled with unnecessary stuff. It's like a closet. 
It's like a closet. What do you do with it? What do you, you're supposed to, when you start off with a closet, you put very specific things in there. It's not long, then it's filled with unnecessary stuff. Our time is the same way. If we are not controlling what's going into our time slots, our schedules, we're filling it with unnecessary stuff. Basic schedules. Routines do not invent work for us. They provide a framework to help us move forward. Here is four easy steps. If you're a note taker, I'm going to do this because it's, it makes a huge difference. To easy weekly planning. The number one thing for guys, people, who are very effective in the use of their time, whether in the business world or ministry or personal lives, is they plan their week and they plan their day, period. That's the number one thing. The people who are highly effective, highly productive, they know what they're going to do and they know when they're going to do it, and they do it. They leave a lot of flexibility for other things. How to do a weekly plan. Monica and I do it Sunday evenings. Sunday evenings we say, what are we doing this week? Who's going to be where, when? What's our obligations? We actually do it a couple months out, but every week we do it. I do it for myself every morning. What am I doing today? What's my priority? What am I going to do? Then I put it on the to-do list. First of all, easy, real fast, easy weekly review. Pray and review your mission and your roles and responsibilities. Keep those in front of you. Don't let them set them aside. If you've got to write them on a piece of paper, put them on some place to do that. Assess, affirm, adjust. What I mean by that is I, I had lived last week by my schedule. I assess. How did it go based on what I wanted to do? I affirm. Good job. This worked out. Adjust. That didn't work very well. I'm going to do it differently this week. Okay? This isn't, we can think through this. Define your priorities for that week. Okay? For that week. I have a, I'm going to, we're, we're tra- going to Alaska, Monica and I, this week, to go training, and I have two priorities. I'm doing a training of a church, so I know this is what I have to do and when. Friday, Saturday, Sunday morning. That is my undivided attention focus. But Sunday through Tuesday, Monica is my undivided focus as we tour around Alaska, okay? But for the week, I decide what that is, and I know when it is, okay? And then you organize your priorities in a way that makes them easy to do. I read something recently that caught my attention because I catch myself doing it. It's called productivity whining. Productivity whining. That's when people whine about being so busy they can't get things done, right? I, I just can't do that. I don't have time. I'm, it's whining. And his point was, the guy who wrote this is, was, you know what? What it really is is an excuse to avoid making decisions and doing the things we need to do. His point was, stop whining with, with busyness. That was to me. That's why I remember it. We can move from crazy busy to calm busy when we set reasonable and clear goals and make steps for them. One of the other things I find is people make very vague goals. I call them wishes because they're just wishing. It's not a goal. Okay, here's a, a vague goal is I want to read my Bible more. I want to pray more. That's not a goal. It's a wish. Okay, I want to I get healthier. That's vague. It's, it's just a wish. There's nothing specific. Here, if you want to know if you have a goal... There's one question to ask and one question to answer, and you'll have a goal. Here's the question. Who is going to do what by when? Who, that's the person or people, is going to do what by when? If you can't answer that question, you don't have a goal. You have a wish. Okay? Who is going to do what by when? Set goals. So if I wanted to read more of my Bible, I could say something like, I'm going to read my New Testament between now, October 1st through December 31st. I'm just going to do that. Or I'm going to start running five days a week. Um, 
and, uh, or I'm going to get ready to run a marathon in May. I'm going to run so I can do, by then I'm going to be able to run a marathon. That's specific. Here's the other thing with goals. Don't focus on your goal. Once you set the goal, set it aside. You can keep, remember you set aside. People who focus on their goals, this is why New Year's resolutions don't work. It's because they get a little into it, and then they don't, fin- they don't do this stuff, and they get discouraged, and they give up, right? Okay, don't focus on your goal. Instead, you break your goal into little steps, and you focus on your steps, right? Instead, if I wanted to get healthier, if I want to read my Bible a little bit more, I'm going to make the step of, I'm going to read 15 minutes a day, five days a week. Or I'm going to read one chapter a day, okay, until I'm done. I then read my chapter. That day, I'm not reading the whole Bible. I'm reading one chapter. What happens if I miss today reading my Bible? What do I do tomorrow? Pick up. Read the next chapter. Or just read. You can do steps. You can do those things. But if you focus on the goal, it's easy to get discouraged and say, I'm not going to do that. Same with getting healthier, uh, whatever you want to do. There's a guy named Brian Tracy. He's talking about some those are hard things to do. Just doing that day in and day out. Those are hard things to do. He calls it eat that frog. You're going to remember this one, okay? He calls it eat that frog. You've, okay? What he means by that is if your job is to eat a frog, eat it first thing in the morning. If your job is to eat two frogs, eat the biggest one first. Okay? That's memorable, okay? Preach it, Royce. This is the frog. You'll remember this. If you're faced with something to do, your daily tasks, the things you've scheduled, I don't want to. Choose courage over comfort and eat the frog. If your job is to eat a frog, eat it first thing in the morning. If your job is to eat two frogs, eat the biggest one first. Good advice. Good advice. Um, here's one that as Monica and I were talking about this week, I'm almost done. As, as, I didn't schedule this out, so I don't know when I'm going to end. But, um, um, Monica and I were talking about this week. We were talking about schedule. We were talking about all this kind of stuff. And it was interesting because we ended up in the same place. We had a little bit different vocabulary, but we ended up in a place say, how do we move, talking from our experience and some of the things we're struggling with, from being crazy busy to calm busy, and this is the phrase we came up with, embrace the mundane. Embrace the mundane. There are things that we do over and over and over again in our lives because they are roles and responsibilities that just are not exciting. It's mundane. It's average. It's plotting. But that's life. I read something recently from a guy named Patrick Lencioni, and he says this. This, this, is, this caught my attention. I hope it catches yours. He says, like most things in life, and then he gives some examples, marriage, parenting, leadership, physical fitness, financial stability, pick them. It comes down to mastering a handful of simple concepts which requires more persistence and dedication than it does intelligence. Most of us know the good we ought to do. It doesn't take a lot to figure that out. It doesn't take a lot to figure these things out if we spend some time and prayerfully go through that. That's not our problem. The problem is the mundane. The problem is the plotting. The problem is it's not complicated being married or parenting or being financially free. It's not complicated. We make it complicated. It's not. Let's be honest. It's the persistence and dedication to doing what we know we're supposed to do. Or as Eugene Peterson says, living life and following Christ is a long obedience in the same direction. A long obedience 
in the same direction. Just some nuts and bolts when it comes down to working through the mundane and stuff. Uh, some of the resources I use when I train is this th- thin book. It's only a little hundred pages called Do More Better. Uh, it's not a great title, but he means do more and do better. And it's a practical guide to productivity. This is one of the books I use for training. And the reason I'm saying this, because I don't have time to get into more things, is his name's Tim Challies, C-H-A-L-L-I-E-S. And he goes through and not only develop your mission and those kind of things, but he says there's three areas of your life you need to have organized and you need to manage. That is your calendar, which is your time, your tasks, those things you need to do, and your information. And he gives you some tips and tools and even recommends software to do those things. Um, And I recommend that simply it's readable, it's good, very practical. You don't have to agree with everything he says. I mostly do. But uh, the reality is it's very tangible and hands-on. Lastly, we can move from crazy busy towards calm, calm busy when we anchor our peace of mind in the gospel. We're coming back full circle. Of all the planning, all the scheduling, all the priorities, all the to-do lists, all those things is great. But that does not necessarily make us calm. It might make us more efficient, but it doesn't necessarily make us calm. Basing our peace of mind on our ability to achieve anything or to control everything just won't work. You will not get, I will not get peace of mind. Our peace of mind comes from the gospel only. As effective and efficient, as productive as we are, peace of mind, confidence, comes from the gospel. One reason our lives are crazy busy is because we're striving for things that God has created us to have, such as acceptance and security and significance. That's why we work so hard often for what we want. And yet we need to remember, we don't get those things from striving. We don't get those things because we fear failure. We don't get those things from other people, even our family members. We are accepted in Christ. We can't be more or less. We are secure in Christ. We are more and less. We are significant in Christ. We, don't, we can't get more or less. In fact, one of the ironies of being a Christian and being productive is you get to be productive because you don't have to. Right? You don't have to be productive to earn God's acceptance, to be secure, to be significant. You already have that. So we get to be productive. We get to reorient our life on that mission and do what he's already designed us to do. Not to earn his favor, not to earn his blessing, not even to earn his empowering. That's a promise that we already get. But we get to release those things for us. Remember back in, uh, in, uh, back in Psalm 90, the, the verse that I've been meditating on um, frequently this past couple weeks is verse 14. He says, Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. All our days. God, it's a prayer. God, you satisfy us. Not we satisfy you or we do other things. You satisfy us with what? Your God's steadfast love, which is the gospel. Why do we want to do that? So that we may rejoice. That's not crazy. We rejoice and be glad, happy, content, satisfied all the days of our lives. So how do we get that satisfaction from God every morning? By reminding ourselves of the gospel every morning. And in doing that, I gave you then, and we reminded you of last week, of the gospel prayer by J.D. Greer. 
the gospel prayer. And J.D. Greer is a pastor, and he, 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 he prays this prayer for himself most mornings. And I challenged you way back when, a couple weeks ago, that we printed it out for you guys and gave it to you. If you prayed it every morning, just take a few minutes and pray this. It will help you satisfied every morning through that. And this is it. This is his prayer. Four lines. Because I am in Christ, there is nothing I have done that would make you love me less, and nothing I could do that make you love me more. Because I'm in Christ, you, have all, you are all I need for everlasting joy. Because I am in Christ, as you have been to me, so I will be with others. Because I am in Christ, as I pray, I do so according to the compassion you've shown on the cross and the power you demonstrated in the resurrection. I, we're going to, in a few minutes, we're finishing here, we're going to take communion, and we invited you to come and receive communion. And we, it's a reminder of that, that Christ died for our sins. Not because, so we, we would, uh, he demonstrated his love for us, that while we were still sinners, he, Christ died for our sins. Again, not that we would uh, repay him or owe him, but we would receive that love. It reminds us that, again, as I said earlier, that we don't have to be productive to earn his acceptance. We get to be that way. So as I want to invite you, if you've responded to the gospel message that Christ has died for your sins, and you have responded in repentance and faith, at some point, you don't even have to be in tender of Red Sea, I want to invite you up to come as we start singing in a few minutes, you're going to take communion. And I want, to, I want, to, I want you guys to uh, welcome that and think about, and, and as you go up to communion as a family, as an individual, as friends, I'd ask that you pause and lift up this week to the Lord. Just regardless of how busy or unbusy it might seem to be, lift up this week to the Lord and ask him to show how you can live in a way that is a demonstration of your faith in Christ and your acceptance, security, and significance. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the many things you do for us. I thank you for time. Um, uh, Lord, when you made time, you made enough of it. And we get our portion that you've allotted to us. And may we steward our lives. May we steward our lives not just as a whole as we should, but also week to week, day to day, in light of the truth of the gospel. And we thank you in your precious and glorious name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Red Sea Church. If you would like more information about Red Sea, including more audio messages, please go to our website at www.redseachurch.org. If you would like to contact Red Sea, you can email us at info at redseachurch.org.